To love Jesus is to be on mission with Jesus. Here's Dr. Mark Job on Moody Presents. I want you to understand that you don't just come to God to have a relationship with God without being sent on a mission with God. It's time for Moody Presents, the weekly teaching program that comes to you from the Moody Bible Institute. I'm John Geiger. You know, Dr. Mark Job was a student here at Moody, and here he is now serving as president. Better yet, he's our teacher on this radio broadcast where we're looking at maximum living. Our text is Matthew chapter 25. Here now is Dr. Mark Job on Moody Presents. I think you're going to love his transparency. You have a calling and a destiny and a purpose and gifts. You are part of a bigger plan that God has called you to. You are a person with a call on your life, and I want you to understand that. I don't know what that call is. That call may look different for all of us here. It may look very different. I believe that we're all called to serve God. I believe that we're all called to ministry. Not necessarily to vocational ministry, not necessarily to full-time ministry, but we're all called to be fully engaged in ministry. I gave my life to Christ when I was 15, 15 years old. I didn't have a real tremendous testimony in terms of radical change. You know, there's some testimonies that, hey, I I was smoking pot when I was 10, got on hardcore drugs when I was 12, Went to prison when I was 13. Ran a prostitution ring when I was 14. Led a gang when I was 15. And then came to Christ. I didn't. My parents were Christians. I wasn't like this real rambunctious guy out there. I gave my life to Christ. But something happened when I gave my life to Christ at the age of 15. Something compelling happened. In myself, in my heart, I knew that if I gave my life to Christ, that I was giving my purpose and my destiny and my vision to God and that God was gonna do something. I didn't know exactly what God was going to do, but it was a few years later that there was visions that God began to put in my heart. I had no desire to really be in Chicago, but I still remember the, the moment and the time where God put on my heart, would you love this city, and put on my heart a burden and a passion to see thousands of people in the city of Chicago come to know Jesus Christ. And I was, I was young. I was probably 21 years, 20 years old when that happened, but I knew there was a vision to impact people, a vision to touch people's lives. I, I didn't know exactly what it was going to look like, but in my heart I knew that I would throw myself into that and that God was going to do something through that. And so at 21, I started pastoring a little church, but in my heart I knew, I saw a vision. There's something bigger. There's going to be thousands of people that are going to come to Christ. I can't explain it. I just knew that I was to throw myself into it and that God was going to do something. I didn't have the resources. I didn't have the experience. We didn't have a big team. We didn't have a lot of know-how or experience, but I had the faith and a vision and the sense of I knew God was calling me towards it. I believe that when God calls us to himself, God will always give us a purpose and a vision bigger than ourselves, and we are to go out there with audacious, bold faith and believe God for the things that he's called us to do. All of us in this place. So, in light of that, I want you to understand 
what Matthew chapter 25 tells us. I call it maximum living. And so I'm going to give you a couple of, a couple of important points on how to maximize your living for God as you per- pursue the vision and the purpose as he has for you. Number one, write this down. Not everyone has been given equal opportunities, but everyone is equally responsible for what they have. Not everybody's given equal opportunities. We don't all have the same gifts. We don't all have the same talents. We haven't all been given the same open doors or closed doors. People come at different phases at different places, so you may have a lot more opportunities than someone else has, but let me tell you what you're not responsible. You're not responsible for what you don't have. You are responsible for what you do have. In this parable, the master gives one person five bags of gold, another person two bags of gold, and a third person one bag of gold. In other words, he gives them different opportunities different abilities, different resources. The person with two bags of gold is not responsible for five, only two. The person with one bag of gold is only responsible for one bag of gold, not two bags of gold. I run into people that spend too much time concerned about what they don't have and not enough time concerned about what they do have and what they're doing with what they have. I run into people that say, well, Pastor, I can't really talk very well. I can't sing. I don't play an instrument. My family was kind of messed up. And you excuse yourself out of God using you. You make it sound like you have nothing to give. You're telling me all the things you don't have. And I want to tell you that God doesn't hold you responsible for what you don't have. But I don't want to hear what you don't have. I want to hear what you have. Oh, I don't have a lot. Well, dig a little deeper because I believe you have something. I believe every person is made in the image of God. I believe that you have dignity. And I believe that you have a skill and you have a gift and you have a calling. And there's something about you that's unique that can contribute to others. I know that. But I want you to know that as well. And I want you to look at what you have and I want you to sanctify it to God and say, God, this is what I have to offer you. And what I have, I give it to you. It may be not as much as that person has. It may be more than what that person has, less than what that person has. But what I have, I give to you. I am responsible for what you give to me, not for what you don't give to me. And there's some of you that some of you here that really, really need to understand that and really, really need to know that, that the master gave to each of them different resources. You're only held responsible for what God gives you, not for what he doesn't give you. So look at what you have first. Number two, every season of grace leads to an unavoidable moment of accountability. The Bible says, after a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. Let me talk to you about periods of grace. There are periods of grace in which you will not be held accountable yet. But at the end of every period of grace is accountability. 
Some of you are in school, and maybe it's your freshman year of college, and you've discovered at your big college that they don't take attendance in class. Yee-haw. Now, your parents haven't figured this out there. They think you're in class every day, but you've discovered my school doesn't even take attendance. So I don't even have to show up in class. I can live in a dorm, stay up all night, sleep during the day, party at the frats, and ask someone that attends the class or get online to figure out what my homework is due, and I don't really have to go to class. And you think that the people that are going to class and doing their homework, they're a bunch of chumps that haven't figured out the system yet because you're living in a period of grace right now. And so you're staying up late, having a good time, laughing while some people are in the library studying, and you're thinking, you are so dumb. If you just discovered what I'm doing, man, you'd be having a lot of fun because during the period of grace, it seems like no matter what you do, there's no consequences. But every period of grace comes to an end, and then then there is an unavoidable accountability. For that person in college, it's finals. And now all your papers are due and you have to do a final exam and you realize I don't know anything that they're talking about. And so the accountability comes in and you have to give an account and when you show your parents a D, you have to explain why you got a D. There's a period of accountability. You may be at a job and it's a sales commission job. And you're thinking, hey, this guy is getting up at six o'clock in the morning, making phone calls, visiting people, talking to account managers, really hustling. And I'm just kind of laying on the beach once in a while, emailing someone saying, hey, have you ever thought about this? And you're thinking, wow, this is great. This is nice because you're in a period of grace. But the time will come where your sales commission has to come in. And that's accountability time comes in. Some of you are living your Christian life and you feel like you're trying to live for God, be honest, do what's right, live right, and some people that are cheating and lying and stabbing people in the back, you feel like they're getting ahead more than you're getting ahead and you're trying to do things right and you say, see, it doesn't make sense. I'm trying to do things right and they're lying, cheating, and they're doing better than I'm doing because the season of accountability hasn't kicked in. But it will kick in, because at the end of every season of grace, there is a season of accountability. The master will show up one day. Some people are living their life, and they don't understand that at the end of every life, you will stand before a judge. The Bible says it's appointed unto man once to die, and after that, the judgment, that all of us will give account for our life. We will give account for how we've lived our lives. You see, the period of grace ends accountability sets in. In this parable, what Jesus is explaining is that there may be a season in which you feel like what you're doing has no consequences to it. But Jesus is trying to remind them that you are responsible for what God has given you and you will give account for what you've done with what he's given you. So the master shows up. He comes back unexpectedly. The period of grace is over. Leads me to number three. Faith-driven rather than fear-driven management of our lives is what earns rewards. So the master shows up, the period of grace is over, and suddenly these three stewards have to give account 
for what they've done with what they've had. The master approached one servant, and the servant says, you gave me five bags of gold. I've worked, invested, planted, sown seeds. It was a lot of work, but I have doubled your investment. Here you have 10 bags of gold. The master says, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into my happiness. He goes to the servant of two bags of gold. The servant of two bags of gold said, I've sweated, it's been hard. I was a little bit worried, but I knew I could do this. I invested, I worked, I sowed what, with what you gave me. I knew I could double it. I knew I could do something with this. And so he doubles it. Here's four bags of gold. Well done, good and faithful servant. How to maximize your living for Christ. We're looking at the parables of the talents with Pastor Mark Job on Moody Presents. None of us wants to regret our use of time, right? And it's interesting, Moody has a lot of different ways you can invest time in the study of God's Word. Flexible online courses and a whole lot more. Check it all out at moodypresents.org. That's moodypresents.org. Now back to Pastor Mark Job on Moody Presents. And then he comes to the third person who had one bag of gold. And he comes to the master and he says, hey, I have one bag of gold here. I was afraid. I heard that you are demanding, that you want an investment on your return, that you want to reap where you haven't sowed, and so I was afraid to lose what you gave me, so I buried it. Here is your bag of gold. The boss says, you lazy, wicked servant. If you knew that I was going to expect from you, if you knew that I was good in demand from you, why didn't at least you put it in the bank and get some interest from it? You have wasted what I gave to you. In essence, what the boss is saying is you have done nothing with what I gave to you. You haven't used it. You haven't multiplied it. You haven't invested it. You haven't taken it and maximized it. You have wasted your talents, wasted your abilities, wasted your intellects, wasted your vision, your faith. You've operated out of fear rather than faith. And so what you have, I'm taking away from you. And then Jesus says something really that seems almost counterintuitive. Those that have will be given more. Those that do not have it will be taken away. What's Jesus saying? This is not about the poor and the rich. This is about the faithful and the unfaithful. Hello, let me say that again. This is not about wealth distribution unfairly. This is about faithfulness and unfaithfulness. This is about the person that takes what they have and they use it. God says, I'm going to look at how you use your life and your vision and your time and your talents. And if you're maximizing it, I'm going to pour more into it. But if you're not using it, I'm going to take what you have and give it to another. This leads me to my fourth point. I mean, this is, this is pretty heavy. My fourth point is this. The key to our future is the stewardship of your present opportunities. So he looks at them and he says, so take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who had 10 bags. For whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance and whoever does not have even what they have will be taken away from them. And throw the worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's a sign of deep regret and torment of the soul. 
Here's what I want you to know. This parable is all about not wasting your life. This parable is all about when you come to Jesus, you come to his lordship, you surrender to who Jesus is, and then he sends you out on his mission. And from then on, you discover in Jesus the mission, the vision, the season for your life. Now, you may not know everything about it, but you know I'm on mission with God. The purposes of my life are bigger than just a paycheck. What I'm called to do is bigger than just my career or what I've been trained to do or my job. I'm on a compelling, strong life-giving mission with Jesus Christ that brings glory to him. It doesn't mean I quit my job. It just means that my job doesn't define me. My call of God defines me. It means that I may be a teacher, but I'm more than a teacher. I'm a servant of the most high God impacting people's lives. It may mean, hey, I'm a city worker, but I'm more than just a city worker. I'm a servant of the most high God on mission with God to impact people's lives and use whatever God has given me to impact people's lives for his honor and his glory. Amen? It's the parable of the talents. Now, here's what I want you to understand. I want you to understand that you don't just come to God to have a relationship with God without being sent on a mission with God. You come to God, and as you submit all that you are to his lordship and say, God, this is what I am, this is what I have. This is the mess in my life. He washes you. He cleanses you. He puts his Holy Spirit inside of you. And he says, now you're a son or daughter of mine. I have a purpose and a call to your life. Now rise up and he sends us out on his mission. Some of you as believers are walking aimlessly. Some of you as believers have come to God but your mission, your vision, your worldview has not changed. You're doing everything exactly the way you would do it even if God were not in your life. You've added God to your life, but you haven't made God the center of your life. And I believe that you have a call, a purpose, that there's an audacious faith that God has given to everyone that has a call of God on their life. In fact, I believe that everybody here, everybody here, in one way or another, is a family changer, a marriage changer, a kid changer, a neighborhood changer, a community changer, a city changer, and a world changer. I believe we've all been called to exercise and influence of the kingdom of God in our life. And when the church begins to realize it, when we rise up to begin to realize that we have the power to make a difference, then the power of the church is unleashed in the people of God who know that they have a call. Amen? What bag has God given to you? When you look at your life, what, what is it that you have? 
What's your story? What's your talent? What's your burden? What is it? What do you want to do with what I have, God? How can I be on mission with you, Lord? Is there something in here that God is pushing you towards? You can say, well, it's scary, Pastor. What if I fail? Well, you could always bury the talent and say, no, I'm not going to risk failure. I'm going to bury it right here. That way I'm not going to fail. Well, you could bury it, but I think we know the end of that story, don't we? You want to bury it, it'll be taken away from you. What God rewards is stewards that had audacious faith with what God gave them. That they said, you gave this to me, God, I'm going to do the most with what you gave me, God. And I'm going to believe in faith, and I'm going to risk, and I'm going to work hard, and I'm going to... I'm going to do something with what you've given me, God. It may be a little, it may be a lot, but I will not waste my life. My life will count for the glory of God. You say, well, Pastor, I don't even know what that means for my life. Well, I don't know either what it means right now for your life, but I, I do know that you, know, you start with where you're planted, you begin to consecrate with what God has given you. You begin to consecrate it to God. If you're a parent, you consecrate your children to God and say, Lord, I'm going to maximize what I'm doing with my children for your honor and your glory. If you have a marriage, you consecrate your marriage to God. If you're dating, you consecrate your dating relationship to God to walk in purity and making sure it counts for him. If you have a talent or a gift, then you consecrate your talents and gifts to God. If you have a career and ability, you consecrate it to God and say, I'm not just going to do it just like everybody else. I'm going to do this for the glory of God. And then you let God deposit in your heart visions and dreams and burdens that he has, and God will do that progressively. And you might just find yourself. being of extraordinary influence in your circle without even knowing it because you simply consecrated whatever you had to the glory of God and let him do the rest. I am pastoring a church where I don't have to say, oh God, we don't have talent. Oh God, we don't have this. I, I don't have to pray for the outside. I am pastoring a church right now that if every life here got on fire for God and started using their talents for God and submitted themselves to God and saying, I'm gonna live on mission with God, I surrender to God and live on mission with God, there would be an explosive revolution that would change this part of the city and beyond in incredible, miraculous ways because everything that we need is already here. It's already here. I don't have to pray for outside. It's here. It's right here. And I know that. So my desire, oh, my desire, I don't want to make you comfortable. Sorry. You say, well, Pastor, I came. I was hoping you'd be real, just real nice. Hug me. Make me feel comfortable. <laughs> I'll hug you. Then I'll kick you in the rear a little bit and say, come on. Out to what God has called you to do. Seriously. Because I don't want you to be comfortable. Oh, I want you to be loved. 
but I don't want you to be comfortable because I believe too much in what God has given you. I know what God can do with a life that's fully surrendered to him. I know what God can do when you surrender and you get set on mission with God. I believe, I, I, I believe that when God sees us, he saw Peter and Andrew. Do you think Peter and Andrew Fishermen were thinking, hey, let's go follow Jesus. We're going to turn the world upside down, and people will be talking about us 2,000 years later. No, they were just fishermen. But when you fully surrender to God, it's hard to tell what God will do with lives that are fully surrendered to his lordship and to his glory. And so I put no limits, no caps. Oh, will it be hard? Oh, yeah, sure. Well, you get discouraged sometimes. Oh, yeah, you better believe it. But I put no limits, no caps on what God can do with a congregation like this and people like you and I and say, we're on mission with God. When we're doing that together, watch out because it's explosive what God begins to do among us. And I hope someone's believing it with me. Dr. Mark Job on Moody Presents. Boy, there's a lot to think about there. You know, I think about his discussion on accountability and a faith-driven life. You and I are responsible for our own red-hot faith. It's a lot to think about. Maybe you'd like to hear today's message again. It's easy to do that. Head online to moodypresents.org, moodypresents.org. Next time, we'll encounter contagious people, people who are zealous about their faith. We're going to explore Acts chapter 2 with Dr. Mark Job on Moody Presents. I'm John Geiger. Our program is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute.